brothers and sisters, there's a handout tonight that uh, Brother Derek has. So uh, he's going to do a handout. If you need a pen, raise your hand, please. And uh, he's got a pen for you. Ladies, thank you for that beautiful, godly music. I Don't you love music? You know, most music in our world is for entertainment. But the music here is the gift of the glory of God. And I also want to say this morning, I was touched and moved by Joe's special music, He Will Hold Me Fast. So thank you for sharing that truth with us, brother. That was, that was wonderful. Uh, why these men are uh, passing these out, and I thank them for that. Do you want to turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, please? That is Isaiah, chapter 53. And I'm going to wait just a second for these men to complete this. Just to let you know, this is not vodka. <laughs> It'd be tough if I did a thing on total abstinence and then, you know, brought it. So like, That's not consistent. There you go. Isaiah 53, I, I think that's in the Old Testament, pretty sure. Just past Matthew? Just past Matthew? Okay. There you go. Bible teacher asked me, Earl, your grade's going to be 100% or zero in Bible class. What's the first book of the Bible? Table of Contents. And uh, so... Only kid in school to flunk recess. Okay. All righty then. All right. Thank you. Everybody has a piece of paper. I have a pen. I want to start off, you know, folks in a church, some people are more theologically inclined or maybe more of a background in churches where topics have been dealt with and preached upon. I do not know how many of you, I know one man said something to me tonight, but the message for tonight is, for whom did Christ die? How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you know that that is a really controversial, loaded topic? Yeah, there you go. All right. So, you say, well, why are you doing this? Somebody said the pastor's away, so you're going to know. This is a controversial topic. It's not been debated for years. It's not been debated for decades, but it has been de debated and hotly disagreed upon for centuries. Centuries. So you say, oh, wow, what do you think pastor's going to think about this? Let me tell you something. When we were on the public committee and we sent out our questionnaires to many candidates, many people, uh, we received one from a uh, pastor, Brent Floyd. And one of the questions on the questionnaire was, how did he feel about this topic of for whom did Christ die? And he wrote extensively on it, and I noticed he wrote something on there that I said, I really appreciate what Brother Floyd has said in response to this. And so one night I was taking him home, and I posed to him, I said, you know, I would like to preach on this, but I said, uh, you're the pastor, I'm not. I said, I will not touch this unless you're okay with it. 
And he very graciously said, no, you go for it. You, you preach and as the Lord leads from the Bible. And I just want to say all the glory to God. But what a wonderful, gracious, generous pastor we have. And uh, just praise God every day that he is the pastor of Berean Baptist Church. So the point of it is here, if you're looking at these saying, what is this? This is a debatable point, just like the topic of tonight. Uh, this is a glass. It holds so many ounces, and I've filled it up about half. We know what the debate is, don't we? Is this glass half empty or half full? Now, I want to get you out of here by 8 o'clock, so you've got to be, work with me here, okay? How many of you would lean this way and you'd say, well, <laughs> you're stupid if you don't understand that that thing is obviously half full. How many would say it's half full? Which way? You lean that way? There you go. All right. Okay. Now you can put your hands down, and the rest of your scrim throw face like, is this church full of dunces? You know? I mean, this glass, it was made to hold this much water. I didn't really want a response to that. Uh, and, and it's only halfway up, so I mean, it's obviously, the point of it is, it wasn't made to hold just this, so it's half empty. How many of you would say it's half empty? There you go. There you go. You want to say something different? And here we go. Here we go. This is what I'm looking for. Yes, sir. Yeah. Half full of air. Do you have any kind of a background in science? <laughs> Thank you for that, my brother. Yes, sir. You know what, Denny? I tell you what, there you go. Because his viewpoint, and, and closer with this one, is, and that's why I wanted to use this for an illustration, I believe it's both. I think we can factually say, now whether if it's oxygen or water, but it, the point of it is the glass, for a simple, unscientific mind, this glass is indeed half full, and indeed, in fact, it is also half empty. So it's both. Now, if you want to argue with me later on, don't do it, because I'm very sensitive. Okay? <laughs> so I'm going to take this away. But I use that for the point of illustration. As to this question, if you have your handout, at the top of it, it asks the question, for whom did Christ die? And this heated debate for the centuries is just going to fly over the treetops here. One side of the argument says, well, it's obvious that Christ died for all people, all the people, all of humanity for all time. When Christ went to the cross that he worked, he died for everyone. Okay? And then on the other side, there says, well, we believe the scripture teaches that when Christ died, he actually died for those who are saved. And so the debate began, and it's been going on, which is, which is true. I would like to suggest to you, in looking at Scripture tonight, I don't want to have an opinion on this. You can walk out of here tonight, and, you know, the authority is up or down. This is what we go by. And I'd like to share some thoughts with you and offer it. I think it's both. Okay? I think that it is true that Christ died for everyone, that Christ died for all people. And I also understand, in the way we're going to look at it tonight, we can also biblically say that in a true sense, Christ died for the saved. And that's also. Now, as 
My sheet has all the answers. Okay? So, as you look at this, you have two columns. And I'm not going to go down the column from 1 through 7. I'm going to go for, on the left side, it's presenting me some ideas on the idea of why Christ died for all people. And I want you to put down, if you want to there, that that position, if you look into a theology book, are people who believe in unlimited atonement. Unlimited atonement. That's going to be on, in number one on the left-hand side. Unlimited atonement. And then on number one on the other side, those that believe that Christ died for the saved, that that would be called limited atonement. So, kind of makes sense. He died for everybody, unlimited. He died for the saved, limited. Now, here's where I want to say this slowly, because this is where we're going to see how both can be true, and yet there are differences. So here we go. On the left-hand side, now you know, some of you, you know, I can't command anybody to write this down if you want to listen or whatever. But here's on the left side, here's the way to say this. On the left-hand side, to affirm that Christ died for all people, it's this. We're going to be talking about the blood of Christ and the work that he did on the cross with his blood. The quality of the blood supplied. The quality of the blood supplied. Asking that question, what is the quality of the blood that was supplied by Jesus Christ upon the cross? And on the other side, number one for the limited atonement, here's the statement, a little bit different. The qualifications for the blood applied. The qualifications for the blood applied. Now I'm going to read those both once again, the limited and the unlimited. Unlimited, one more time. The quality of the blood supplied. And on the limited side, the qualifications for the blood applied. With that, let's start number one, and we're going to be going back and forth. If you're with me in Isaiah 53, we're just going to take a quick look at verse 6. These verses that we're looking at on either side are, are verses that kind of go with the argument, or the position, if you will, of the limited or the unlimited. And then I will do some explaining as I go. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and notice these words, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, not some, not a few, but all. This would say that when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, it was supplied for all humanity, every last person who was ever to live. Let's go now. We're, going to, we're still on the same side. We're looking at some more verses. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So I'm preaching, but it's a little bit like a classroom situation. If we have some time at the end, as I said, as we near 8 o'clock, <laughs> uh, if anybody makes a question or a comment, we'll uh, have an opportunity for that. John 1 and 29. We've read this verse many times, but I wonder how many times have people thought about it in this context. This is at the baptism of Jesus. We're there now. John 1 29. The next day, 
John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Not the sin of a few, not the sin of some, but the sin of the world. Sounds a lot like an unlimited atonement that Christ died for everybody. His blood was supplied for all. Let's also then in, uh, well, this verse that we looked at, uh, that Ray read, but I want to look at it one more time. Now 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 2, and Brother Ray, thank you for reading that. I appreciate that, sir. Same author. One's the gospel, and we're, then we're going back to the epistles. These two verses, we're going to look at another verse there, the other one in 1 John that are sort of like kind of the, the bedrock foundational of, of comparing these two thoughts of limited and unlimited. So are you with me, hopefully, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where John wrote these words, and he is the propitiation. Anybody out there know the other, the word for, you could put there instead of propitiation, the what? Satis... No, Satisfaction. So how many, if my hearing's off, did anybody say that? If you said, everybody said satisfaction, then I'm sorry. Okay. And he is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. So, you know, John's writing to the church. And as he's writing this, the Holy Spirit reminds him of something. And he writes and he says, oh, and by the way, and not for ours only. You know, not, not for believers only. But also, he's the propitiation with his death on the cross and the blood that was supplied, he says, for also the sins of the whole world. It's as if John is saying, we don't want to make a mistake on this. We, we don't want to say, well, he died just for us and our little group, because that's true, he did die for us. But when he went to the cross, when he shed his blood, the, the quality of his blood that was supplied paid for the sins of everybody, not just the saved, but the lost also. Now, I want you to understand here, when we're talking about this, we've come to the end of number one here. It's the payment for sin. Payment for sin. And I stress that word sin as opposed to the idea of the words, it doesn't talk about sinners becoming saints. He died to pay for or expiate the sins of the whole world. Excuse me. <clears throat> Now let's go over to the other side. Let's go back to John chapter 1. Back to the gospel. Ping pong, ping pong. <laughs> Pastor read this this morning. Now, if the limited was the quality of the blood supplied, now on the other side we're talking about the qualifications for the blood applied. This is a little bit more narrowing in verse 12, and I want you to remember this for later on in the message. But as many as received him. Now we're not talking about everybody, the world, or all. Now it says, bring it in. To them 
gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now it's conditionalized. Before it was everybody. Now we're, now we're using some language that says, now wait a minute, uh, this isn't something that everybody's going to be a part of. It's got a condition to it. It has a qualification that needs to be met. And then, let's go back again, ping pong, ping pong, back to 1 John one more time, to 1 John chapter 2, and the other verse that Brother Ray read into our hearing, same chapter, 1 John 2, but drop down to verse 12. Now what did he say up there in verse 2? He's the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. By the way, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we need to understand about the quality of the blood supplied. But then he gets down to verse 12, and now he brings it in. He says, you know, I'm writing this, but I want you to understand, I write unto you little children. Now, little children, I'm going to tell you in the context of this, he's not writing this to everybody in the world. Because if you're talking about Jesus Christ and those who are God's little children, now he's talking about believers. And he says here, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. You notice the difference? Again, I don't want to, you know, beat this too with, but it's not all, not the world, not everybody, but now it's down the idea that if you want to talk about this idea of, you know, everybody's sins being paid for, we have to remember that within all the people whose sins have been paid for, we need to remember that it's the little children of God whose sins have actually been forgiven. Are there any people going to be going out of this world when they die whose sins were never forgiven? Yes or no? Yeah. There's going to be a majority of people when they die. They will have never done business with God and their sins, they will go into eternity and their sins were not forgiven them. So we're just looking at this. Now, let's go down to number two. I'm going to pick up speed here just a little bit. Here's what you could write down again now. We're talking about the quality of the blood supplied. So number two, I'm just going to read this. The quality of the blood of Christ supplied is limitless and infinite in its power to pay for all sin. Now, why would that be? Is the blood that's flowing through my veins, is the blood that's flowing through your veins? Could we say about you that the quality of the blood of Earl Burkott Oh, it's limitless and infinite in its power to pay for everybody's sin. No. But we sang about the blood of Jesus Christ, how precious it is, how blessed is that flow. So we can see when we're talking about the idea of the unlimited atonement, that Christ died for all sins. That means that because of who Jesus Christ is, when he shed his blood upon the cross as the Son of God, as God, everything about him has infinite power and infinite authority and infinite worth. 
And therefore, whether at the end of, who knows what's going to be the number of the last person God ever creates. Let's just say that the, at the end of beginning with Adam and Eve, who were not born, by the way, uh, Adam and Eve, but go all the way to the very last person who will ever be. 172,622,600,410. If you'd want to triple that, the quality of the blood of Jesus Christ could pay for everybody's sin. There's no limit. You'd say, well, how far can you stretch it out? I mean, at some point, aren't you going to run out of blood? No, you don't understand. We're talking about whose blood, not the amount of it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he sheds his blood to forgive sin, the quality is there of the blood supplied that it can pay, it can expiate the sin of everybody who has ever lived. That's Bible. Thank you for the amen there, too. To pay for all sin. But now let's jump across on the other line of the qualification for the blood of Christ. Because I think we're true on this. Pastor talked about universalism. There's a, a belief that church is called Unitarian Universalist. And universalism just means that in the end, everybody gets to go to heaven. Again, I could just ask for a yes or no. Does the Bible teach in the end, when it's all said and done, that everybody gets to go to heaven? Yes or no? No. So there has to be some limitation, some qualification for the blood of Christ. Now, understand, these are the two key words. The blood of Christ was supplied. Supplied for everybody's sin. But now we're talking about the qualification for the blood of Christ, where it's going to be not supplied, but applied. And that's a very different matter. The qualifications for the blood of Christ applied is limited and finite. Over on the other side, it's limitless and infinite. But if not everybody's going to be saved, then there has to be some sense, some biblical truth of it being limited and finite in its provision. Now here's the difference. I'm going to say something here again, so cock the ear. Over on the other side... The quality of the blood of Christ supplied is infinite and in its power to pay for all sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ applied in its provision is going to only purchase certain sinners. You hear the difference there? Not everybody's going to go to heaven. So the blood when it's applied is going to be limited because it's going to purchase certain sinners. Well, who are, those, who are those certain sinners? Well, that's what we're going to go. Now, number three, I'm going to read one of them because they're the same thing on both sides. Because this is a truth that it does not matter if you live your entire life as an unbeliever, you're lost, you never trust in Christ, and you die. Or whether you're a person who's convicted of their sin, you come to the cross, you repent of your sin, you receive Christ. It's the same. It's the same. And here's this statement number three. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness and must be punished and paid for. Sin is lawlessness and must be punished and paid for. And that is a biblical truth whether it's the believer or even whether it's an unbeliever who is lost. You understand this as we're coming into the next one about this. God is a holy God. And he demands obedience. When people sin against God, he will not and he cannot sweep it under the rug or look the other way. 
Because if he does that, he's no longer holy, and if he's no longer holy, he's no longer God. So all sin must be paid for. And that's what we talk about on limited atonement. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he knew of all the people throughout all of history who would never, ever place their faith in him. And yet, he paid for all their sin. Now, why is that? We're coming down here to number four. Understand when Jesus is on the cross. This is something now to say and to understand. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross. And there's a lot of things going on. But two of the things that are going on. He's doing a work on the cross where he's thinking primarily of his father. <coughs> he's viewing the father and a work he's doing towards the father. And the work that he's doing for the Father has a benefit to all those people who will remain lost. And then secondly, when he's on the cross, he's doing a work where he has a view towards humanity, towards the human race. He's doing this both at the same time. So number four, here we go. The sacrifice and death of Christ vindicates, there's a V word, vindicates the holiness of God. Jesus is looking to God. And he says, one of the things I must do as I'm the sin bearer is God, my Father, is holy. People have disobeyed. They've sinned. They've, they've uh, gone against his law. He's been assaulted. He's been uh, insulted. His holiness has been trampled. People have blasphemed against him. No one can get away with that. So when I'm on this cross, I will die for all sins. I will pay for all sins. And that propitiation, it propitiated or satisfied the Father. Number five underneath number four, they're still on the left. The holiness of God is satisfied. It's propitiated. You remember when Jesus is in the baptismal waters and the voice comes out of heaven. And the voice says, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. Well, only God knows what, everything what he meant by that, but I can tell you two of them. He was well pleased with his son because he knew that his son would be sinless. Remember, Pastor, this morning, Christ said, who of you can convince me of sin? Sinless. And so he could be that sacrifice. He could go to the cross and God the Father could say, my son is perfect, he is holy, he has never sinned, he has obeyed me 100%. And therefore, when he dies on the cross, he is the one who will become sin, who knew no sin. He will vindicate my holiness. When I pour out my wrath on sin, I will pour it on my son, and he will pay for it. And in that, my holiness is vindicated. In that, I am satisfied. I am well pleased with the work of my son on the cross. Now, at the very same time, as we go across the line, let's go back to number four. I said on the left side, on the unlimited, the sacrifice, the death of Christ vindicates the holiness of God. God is satisfied. Now, let's go over to the limited atonement, <coughs> where Christ on his cross is considering humanity, considering people. Now, here's what I wrote down about this. The sacrifice and death of Christ is the vehicle for the hope of the gospel. The sacrifice and death of Christ is the vehicle 
for the hope of the gospel. Because in his sacrifice for death, as he pays for sin, he faces the wrath of God, all sin is paid for, then the people on earth can now look to this Christ and admit that they are a sin, but say to this Christ, I know that you are sinless, I know you're sent by God, I know you are the Savior, and therefore, knowing that I am a sinner, I repent of my sin, and Lord Jesus, I look to you, I receive you, I trust you, and I ask you to come into my life, I'm asking you to be my Savior. And therefore, number five, as Christ looks at the people, he's considering a special group of people. We talked about the church, the body of believers. Whereas the holiness of God is satisfied as Christ considers the Father, as Christ is looking at the people who will become the church, it is the hope of the gospel, which is salvation. Do you have this hope? Do you know what the gospel is? Are you a walking, talking advertisement for the gospel? Yes, the gospel is the good news, and we have received the good news. And what is the good news? That Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my sin, and I have repented, I have received him, and therefore I'm saved. That's my hope. That is my hope. I like it where we read in John 1.12, but as many as received him. And then you read in John 14, where Jesus returns the compliment. He said, for as many as received me, I want to tell you, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and receive you unto myself. You received me, says Jesus. I'm looking forward to coming back and receive you where you can be with me and with the Father forever. That's our hope, church. And when the person oh, say, you hope you got your fingers crossed. No, 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 no. Let me, that's our certainty. God is a covenant-keeping God. And he said to you, if you admit you're a sinner and you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you are saved. Praise God. Now, we get down to number six. Get down to number six. We go back over to the unlimited. We have to remember, though, that how are, however, even those sinners... Even though we have read and it's true that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of all the people of all time, and therefore they are without excuse. You know, the lost could say, well, this Jesus never did anything for me. Oh, I beg to differ. Jesus Christ, who you've never trusted in, he went to the cross and died in agony, and he paid for your sins. So you're without excuse. Let's just look at these real quick. Lee, John 1 11. John 1 11. I might go to maybe five to 105 minutes over. I don't know. <laughs> Sheila just gave me the laugh of approval there. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. No. <laughs> Sheila, what do you think? <laughs> Here we go. Now we looked at John 1 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now he died for everybody's sin, but look at that. Look at that 11th verse. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Did he die for their sins? Yes, he did. It's an unlimited atonement. He expiated, he paid for all their sins. But even though he did that wonderful thing, which he didn't have to do for them, they received him not. Let's go over to chapter 3. 
of John. <clears throat> John 3, verses 18 to 20. I'm going to pick up speed here. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is not condemned, is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Let's go down in the same chapter to verse 36. Again, we see within one verse this contrast between the qualities of the unlimited atonement and the qualification for the limited atonement. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Okay? That's for the person who has repented and received. And he that believeth not, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, the amazing thing, and I know I've said it many times, but you look at this and you say, well, wow, there's, there's the contrast of the two kinds of people, the lost and the saved, the believers and the unbelievers, those that receive Jesus and that reject Jesus. That's true. But understand, Jesus paid for all their sins. What a, what a Savior. What a, what a God who would people, while we're, they're spitting in his face, and the same thing is true of us. Before we were saved, you know, we weren't born saved. And for the years, however long it was that we weren't saved, that book in Romans, it says, for, you know, for God commended his love towards us, is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't send him a card. He said, oh, thank you so much. No. I didn't say thank you till years later. On the other side, then, we see those that received him. Uh, we talked about that. Now, one more for the, uh, the, the unlimited side. Would you go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13? <clears throat> you see, even though Christ paid for everybody's sins, the Bible all teaches that we are all responsible to God. We are all accountable to God. There's no one that when they go before the Lord on Judgment Day can say, well, you forgot something, you did something wrong, or you made a mistake, therefore your judgment's not going to apply to me. No, that's not going to happen. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is talking about people have this hierarchy of sin. You know, they think, well, you know, this other person sinned this really horrible sin. I've, I've never committed a sin that badly. All right? So in Luke chapter 13, we look at verses 3 through 5. Verse 2, Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Are those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them? Think ye that they were sinners above all men dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He says that to everyone. Unless you repent. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. I'm telling you ahead of time, I'm going to be fair. You don't ever come to me and say, well, you never told me that. Oh, yes, I did. I said it right here in the book. The people who had their sins paid for, and that's that unlimited atonement, he died for them. But if they never repent, then it's not going to matter. Let's turn to John 5.24, please. And then I'm going to go to the last portion, because it is 6 o'clock. John 5.24. <clears throat> and there's a lot more. 
John 5 and 24, Jesus is speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You repent, you receive him, and the atonement is not merely the quality of the blood supplied. Let me say that one last time. I'm going to go to this portion here. The blood that was supplied paid for everybody's sin. But it's only when a person is convicted, called, drawn by the Holy Spirit, and that person responds in repentance and in receiving and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that blood of Christ was not only supplied to everybody, but it is applied, applied to that person personally. See, it's not just theoretical. Are you a believer in here tonight? The idea of the blood of Christ is not something theoretical. It's not a concept. The blood of Christ is on you. And he recognizes that. The final two verses I want us to look at here. Again, just bringing this home. I want you to turn with me, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a word that I want to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It's the Greek word agora. And it's the word, what we would call the marketplace, a place where people in the ancient world did business. And I want to stress a certain word and then I will close. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you there? Go to the place of the chapter. Verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are, here's your word, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. The context of that word, agora, in that 20th verse, bought, is the idea that this is a person that the blood was not merely supplied, but the word, the word uh, there means that the blood was actually applied. This is about a believer, purchased in that sense. But now I'll go to the book of Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. I'd like to read into your hearing verses, I think it's just verse 1. Sounds like you're there. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even not what's this now? Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring swift destruction and bring themselves swift destruction. That sounds like a contradiction. We just saw a verse over in Corinthians where we hear this idea that God bought us. The idea of being redeemed, we belong to him. Therefore, do you not understand in your behavior that you're the temple of the living God? Therefore, live in such a way that as one who's redeemed that God has bought you, that you live in such a way as give glory to God. And yet the very same word 
Agora is in this word, but it's not talking about the idea of a Christian. False prophets, false teachers, they bring in damnable heresies. They deny the Lord. They're bringing upon themselves swift, destruct, swift destruction. And yet the same word, he brought them to. You say, well, how can that be? How can he? Because it's talking about in the verse, it's the truth of the unlimited atonement that God bought all the sinners because he paid for their sin. Because he paid for their sin, in that sense, he bought them. But in the case in Peter where they're denying him and bringing in damnable heresies, even though he paid for their sins, these people obviously never repented and never received Jesus Christ. Whereas the same word over in 1 Corinthians, the context is, yes, he paid for all their sins, but he also came to the place where the Holy Spirit convicted these people. They came under conviction. They, they were brought to a place where they knew they were sinners and they cried out to Jesus Christ and they repented and they absolutely received their salvation. Not only was the blood supplied, but for these folks like ourselves, the blood has been applied. And that is the difference. So I'm going to close with this. Verse or number seven. The power of the supplied blood of Christ paid even for those who resist are rebellious and reject Jesus Christ, and they're without excuse. So, do I believe that in the glass? Do I believe in an unlimited atonement? Do I believe that Christ died for everybody? Yes, I do. Jesus Christ, not needing to do this, paid for the sins of all people of all time. Those who hate him, blaspheme his name. They crucified him. They reject him. They hate him. They Everything you can imagine. They don't want to have anything to do with him. And yet, he paid for their sins. Wow. I don't think I'd do that, but he did. But also on the other side, the purpose of the applied blood of Christ purchased those who rejoice, do repent, and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. The other side is without excuse. But when we're going to stand one day before Jesus Christ, it'll be without condemnation. Let's pray. Uh, does anybody, excuse me, does, I know it's a couple minutes after six. Did anybody say, I'd like to say one thing, make a point? Anybody in that category? Yes or no? Right. Well, I'll ask you this way, because that's a valid point, and I don't, I don't want to sidestep that, but I'll, but I'll be honest. When you're talking about terms like foreknowledge, predestination, election, and everything, that is a minefield. And uh, I told the pastor that I wasn't going to, to get into that. I went as far as, as I can say with confidence that what I've shared with you tonight is biblical truth. There is a sense that he died for everyone. There is a sense that he died for just the same. Now, how we got to that point, how we get there, that's a whole, whole nother issue. And I respect the question, and you're right. And after correcting you, <laughs> that'd take forever. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's there. Okay, anybody else? Last word or not? We're gonna yes sir, brother. This is it. Last one. Okay, now I'll just say in response to that, to honor that, in this back and forth for the centuries, you've just said the one side. There is another side that would disagree with what you just said, but we're not going to get into that. I have found out you can't sprint across quicksand. It won't work. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's sing. We're going to have a closing uh, verse of a hymn. All right. Thank you for your attention tonight.